Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. Uh, what we attempt to do in the first part of the show is to tell you what Victory Over Sin is and what we're attempting to do. Victory Over Sin is actually funded by an advocacy arm of St. Vincent de Paul of Southwest Idaho. And what we attempt to do is to share with you, the audience, what it's like to be incarcerated, come out of incarceration, and attempt to blend back into community. We do it in several different ways, but certainly... The one that's the most fun is this radio show. And we've been doing this radio show for now almost five years. Uh, if you go back to the archives of KBXL, you can look up Victor Over Sin and listen to all the radio shows. There is a litany of people who are there. We've got a governor or two. We've got some state senators. We've got uh, some city council people. Uh, in addition to that, we've got pretty much every agency that supports those of us who have been incarcerated and have come out and we talk about their programming. Uh, we've got people who are been incarcerated themselves, and I've got uh, people who just the first day out of incarceration came to the studio, and we've got people who are, I even have one gentleman who went back in, the, right before he was going back into incarceration, was here on the radio with us. So it's a good body of work, if you will, to understand the Department of Corrections, which is what we're attempting to share with you in terms of uh, helping you with your knowledge. In addition to that, we actually do a PowerPoint presentation that we are happy to share with your business, with your church, with your association, if you will, if you're trying to learn something about the Department of Corrections. Uh, the great thing about this PowerPoint is that it is led by a returning citizen <coughs> themselves. And what they do is come out and give the PowerPoint and then allow certainly 40 minutes or so to answer any questions about what it's like to be incarcerated themselves. So. Again, if you're interested in that, towards the end of the show, I will let you know how to reach me, and we'll be happy to accommodate any of those things that are uh, in your um, agenda for understanding the Department of Corrections. Um, ha have you been, if you have been listening to me over the past few years, you've seen our program grow, and we do continue to grow and to become much more influential in offering support for people coming out of incarceration. We now have two offices to greet people on their first day out of incarceration. The main one for us is in Ada County at 3217 Overland Boulevard. That's near Vista Boulevard. We'd love for everybody to come out the first day, come to that office. We can set you up with resources, with food, with transportation, bicycle connections, uh, help with rent, and clothing vouchers, those types of things. We also do the same thing in Canyon County at uh, inside the office of probation and parole at 3110 Cleveland Boulevard, and that's in Caldwell. Uh, when you go in to check in at PNP over there, you might just say, hey, look, the St. Vincent Paul office is here. 
Can I talk to that person? We'll be happy to do that too. The office in Caldwell is open 10 to 12. The office in Boise is open 9 to noon. In addition, if you're listening to me in the desert out there and you do not have a ride out of incarceration, go to your case manager and have your case manager send me an email and we will be happy to pick you up. We'll take you uh, where you need to go that first day, get you some resources and end up taking you to wherever you're going to live. If it's a transitional living house or whatever, we'll be happy to do that. So that in a nutshell is some of the things that we do and utilize. Today, I'm excited. We've got somebody who actually has gone through our program is one of those examples about how life uh, certainly can be accomplished. And I'm, we'll, you will look forward to uh, meeting him in just a second. Idaho has an incarceration rate of 761 to 100,000 people, including prisons, jails, immigration detention, and juvenile justice facilities, meaning that it locks up a higher percentage of its people than any democracy on earth. Compare that to the United States, 664 people per 100,000, Canada's 104 people per 100,000, and Norway's 54 people per 100,000. What about our parole system? In 2019, Prison Policy Initiative graded each of the 50 states for their parole system. Idaho received a grade of F. How do we change this? We need your involvement, and we need your story. More importantly, you must tell it. Your Christian voice can support the need to change. Reach out to us and get involved. At the end of the show, Mark will share his contact information, or you can call the radio station, KBXL 941 The Voice, and ask for links to Mark Rank. Okay, this afternoon, it's uh, great to have with us a gentleman where we got an example of somebody who's come out of the system like I did and is surviving, and that's always good to uh, take place and to talk to people. So I've got Sean Rucker with me. Sean's a returning citizen and advocate. Thank you for coming, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's actually, uh, I've been out of prison for 12 years, so it's like it's refreshing when somebody like Sean comes into my office and I see this energy from him and I think, oh, man. That's the way, was I like this or was I not like this? And so it was great to be able to reconnect with you in the past couple of weeks. Thank you for coming in and doing this with us. You're most welcome. Um, like I was saying, I consider it a privilege and an honor to um, hopefully say something or enlighten someone or um, just try to help motivate, help motivate people, especially our incarcerated population, because that's what they need. They need motivation, they need inspiration, and they need real-life stories. Yeah, real-life stories of people. My struggles didn't change, but um, needed the, re- the revenues and the, re- the resources, I should say, the resources available to help us because a lot of people have want help, but they're unaware of exactly find it for whatever reason. Yeah, Where are you from? I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Okay, and what kind of background in terms of Chicago? Oh, man, I came from the west side, the west side of Chicago. If you're familiar with Chicago, Illinois, the west side and south sides of that city are considered um, high crime areas. All the social ills that you can imagine, that's what you would experience on Chicago's west side. And it's a place I love right now today. But uh, that's where I'm from. Um, I'm 59 years old, and I have quite a checkered past. Early on, when I started getting involved in criminal behaviors and antisocial behaviors, it was really to help my family provide 
basic necessities like food and, you know, clothing and help pay bills because we were on the welfare system. And um, it was like out of necessity that I became involved in criminal activities. Yep. So to be quite candid with you. Well, how did, how did you get to Idaho? Well, actually, actually, I was just passing through Idaho. I was, I was on my way to Texas, Houston, Texas, to meet some more people. And um, I was in a situation, I was driving in a vehicle that I had purchased from a guy. It was one of those shady transactions where you exchange this for that. And um, I thought it was legitimate. However, he had a change of mind and he reported his car stolen. So as I'm coming through Coeur d'Alene, get yeah. pulled over and come to find out, I have an auto theft warrant against me. You know, so yeah. that's, that's how I got caught up in my legal entanglement here in Idaho. But in hindsight, uh, Mark, I have to say it probably was the best thing that happened to me because I was living recklessly. I was li living recklessly, um, lawlessly, didn't care, you know, mm -hmm. about anything. I had substance abuse issues at the time. I was wanted you know, as a result of, you know, all my criminal conduct. And, um, and first I looked at it as this was the end of the world. But God, I think, in his grace and mercy made it the beginning of a new road because um, I had health issues, which, which often happens to people involved in that lifestyle. We don't take doctor visits. We don't yeah, check on true. our health. We don't visit the clinic regularly as we should. I had a variety of problems. So when, when the police officer pulled up behind me, I really breathed a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. You know, the running is over. The, um, the, um, the, the lawless living, the, um, the stress, the stress mm -hmm. that comes along with it. Yeah, I, I, you, you articulate something that I'm not sure many people can identify with, but it's so true. It's like, you know, you get caught and you finally think, God, I don't have to live this facade anymore. I don't have to put up with this weight, if you will, that's carrying, that I'm carrying around. And you can almost relax. And I think is that. That's exactly. It was, it was a sigh of relief. And I didn't have to worry about being apprehended. Yep. captured anymore and the thing is the thing is um living a criminal lifestyle is so so stressful people don't realize this how stressful it is yeah. and then combine that with substance abuse issues yeah. so your criminal lifestyle and your addiction becomes like a job yeah. something that you have to do well i think too you're living the lifestyle that you know is uh against the grains of what society is and so to deal with it, you kind of feed it by trying to numb the pain of uh, addressing those things. So it's just like a never-ending situation that you can, you can't win. You just can't win. I like the way you said never-ending because that's what it is. And, and then the way I used to refer to it as people are stuck. I was stuck in that lifestyle. And even though um, I had the desire to change because one, one gentleman, a case manager of mine, I hope I don't mind me mentioning his name, but uh, I'll just say Doug S., excellent case manager. He was with me every step of the way when I, when I touched the yard, which is a prison facility, one of the prison facilities here in Idaho. And he was so, so very helpful. And he just helped me from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, and he used to explain stuff to me, like we used to talk. And I told him, I, you know, and he said, I know you're tired. See, people are tired, but they're stuck. Yeah. 
they're stuck. They don't know how to change. But I wanted to change, but I didn't know how to go about it. Yeah. And then a lot of these, in, 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 in the penal system, because of prison reform and the legislature, a lot of programs that would help change or enrich a person's life simply isn't available. But one thing I learned about Idaho, more of the programs and services and re- reentry services such as yours are available. They're here. They want to help. Unlike most major cities and metropolitan areas, but that's what I found unique about this. So what I did, I took the opportunity to learn about all these agencies and the resources available, the, um, how Idaho was, because I really wanted to stay here. And that's what I did. And I made a decision, Mr. Rick, I made a decision to change, to change. And I was willing to do whatever it took to change. Because again, like I said, I've been tired for years. Yeah. Well, the thing too, you did, um, and we'll talk off air about who that case manager is. I yes. know him really well. Sure. Uh, and, um, but you got out and you were part of a program that we had where we picked you up and through one of my recovery coaches and then you came to the office, you kind of enabled yourself with all the services, you took care of our employment person and you've kind of worked all the way through the process and it's been how long since um, IDOC number 131609, how long has it been since you've been out? I came home last December. Okay. I came home in December and I hit the ground running after, after Christmas, of course, because I know everybody was a festive season. Everybody was you know, celebrating and enjoying time with their families. So I waited till the first of the year. And from there, I just made myself available to St. Vincent de Paul, namely. But any other program that was available, I was trying to, to get, gather more information and to use their services. But St. Vincent de Paul in particular was there for me like the first day I got out. And um, Mr. Perry, Mike Perry, showed up with another resident, a returning citizen who had just returned, and he had bags full of groceries. And I'll say, wow, you got some good stuff there. Where did you get that? And Mike Perry say, say, Vincent Fall, you need mm-hmm. some stuff? I say, I certainly do. And he, and he made himself available the very next morning, picked me up because I didn't have transportation. And so that was the beginning of a very, very, um, I should say, fruitful relationship yeah. with St. Vincent DePaul. Because through Mike, I learned about the other various services that you guys offer. And I, but I tell you, it wasn't easy. And I'll say this, I'll, the reason I say that is because men and women have pride. Mm-hmm. And it, men, so more so than women. More so than women, especially yeah, so. the, you know, um, the incarcerated individual. Because we've grown so used, especially the older inmates, we've grown so used to living a certain lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that may be criminal, reckless, but it was something we could rely on. It was something we were familiar with. But um, again, St. Vincent Paul was there for me every step of the way. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd echo that too. I think um, a lot of the times I'm blessed to have some very good staff who've actually been incarcerated. But I find myself over and over again saying, you know, Listen to what they're saying as they're coming out because what they're really doing is putting up a facade. They're saying they've got things together and they're saying they know how to do this and they're saying that this is fine. They've got a job, they've got this. But really what they're doing is bluffing because you've learned inside to kind of take care of yourself, to say, I can handle that. I could, you know, I've got money buried in the backyard and I really drive a Cadillac yet. I'm going to see them at the same food bank that, you know, 
they're, they're putting it up as a facade. Sure. So listen to what people are saying and then it helped them initially so that we're credible enough to when they really do say, gosh, I really do need some help with this, that they'll come back here. That's, that's kind of, it's interesting that you pointed that out because. Because um, again, for most, for me it was, it was a matter of pride, but I had to sit down and really, really consider, does my pride or does my need or willingness outweigh that mm-hmm. pride, my, 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 my need for change and willingness to change, that outweighed any pride or sense of arrogance or even sense of shame or embarrassment to have to go to a charitable organization and ask for some help. That's the most important step for me, to just practice some humility, mm-hmm. to practice some humility. And don't be afraid to ask for help that's designed to help me. See, I, 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 I try to take pride in having a spiritual connection with the higher power. I believe in God. And it's so crazy because when I was hustling, I used to pray to God. And, I, and when something happens good, I, I give God the credit. So mm-hmm. now I want to change. So I lean toward God. I did. I lean toward God. And I, re, I, I had the realization that if God's going to help me, he's not going to open the clouds and thunderbirds or, or thunderbolts or angels going to miraculously appear. He's going to help me through people. He's going to help me through organizations. You know, I think it's very difficult for, I love the way you say that too, because it's like people will say, well, I don't know, God's not in my life. I say, what are you talking about? This happened, look, what do you think this happens? Why do you think I'm standing here next to you? I mean, God works in surprisingly unique and beautiful ways. Yes. And so what our job as Christians is, is to be able to recognize when you see that and say, Hey, thank you very much. It's in many ways to say, you came into my office last week and it was like, gosh, here's a gift. This is really something. This People need to hear this guy's voice and to be able to put him out and do that. That's that's a gift from God for me saying, uh, put Sean on the radio with you and let's talk about that. So we need to appreciate that as Christians and uh, look for that and recognize that that's how it comes. It comes in real right. subtle ways. It does. And again, another thing for me was I, I had the understanding that sometimes... God would place us in a seemingly unfavorable position. Or he said, it says, he'll make us taste small punishments, such as incarceration, to avert us from a greater punishment to come. So that's how I looked at. I looked at my period of incarceration, Mark, as a mercy. I do too. I do too. As a mercy, because it literally saved my life. I was having health concerns, substance abuse issues. I was running from the law. You know, I had a wife with me who was, who was in the same situation. So I'm this overburdened. So when I see the police car behind me, it was really quite a relief. But I also realized that, hey, this has got to be the last time. You have to make some changes starting right now while in prison. Right. While in prison. One of the things that really, I think, led to... um my ability to to operate normally as a citizen, a law-abiding citizen, is I started in prison. I started looking at what skill set that I had developed in prison that I could transfer over into society. And most most um, residents or offenders, whatever you want to call them, they work in kitchen environments, they work in cleaning custodial positions, mm-hmm. and these are transferable skills. So I was like, okay, I'm in this kitchen. I'm in this kitchen, let me build a resume highlighting these kitchen skills. So that's why that's why prison can lead to um, 
opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you just change your mindset while in cars, so don't wait to the last minute. Yeah. Start the, the, the moment your feet hits a compound. Develop a different mindset. Yeah, right. Most people will say that uh, the time to prepare for release from incarceration is the day you walk in. The day you walk in. Yeah, the day you walk in. Not, not enough people say that, but that's the truth. Yeah. Right. And then, and, and, um, for me, again, I, I just made myself aware. I read information because you guys have a preponderance of material everywhere. Everywhere you look, you'll find some help, some help. But a person has to swallow his pride. No longer be concerned about these images, the facade that you was talking about earlier. You got to break that. Yeah. You got to break that and rebuild and redefine yourself. And, it, and I'm not talking about become a scholar or something really, really great. Just be a kind, decent, law-abiding person. That's rewarding in itself. I don't think like a criminal anymore. Some things may occur to me because, you know, it's a life I live for many, many years. But now I resist all of that. I resist all of that because this new lifestyle, this new lifestyle is so much more rewarding, so much less stressful. And I appreciate everything that St. Vincent de Paul in particular has helped me with. They've given me help that I didn't even know was available for me. And a lot of people don't know that St. Vincent de Paul has been around forever. Like I think the early 1940s. 150 years. Yeah, a long time. And they're here for that specific purpose to help. Yeah. To help. You got, you went through, um, let's give a plug for Cindy. Let's, you ended up in, tell me about the industry that you're in and how was working with Cindy Real in terms of getting a job. My experience with Cindy Real was fabulous. I met her through Mike. We set up an appointment. She's an employment specialist, and that's what she does. She specializes in helping returning citizens gain employment. So I met her at her office, and um, I brought my resume and everything. And she said, I got a couple job leads for you. Once she, once she found one of my interests were and my skill set was in food service, she contacted two restaurants. And I was hired right there in her office, which I appreciated so much because returning home to society, you have these huge concerns and fears that can become distractions and can also compel you to return to the former lifestyle. Because again, even though there may have been substance abuse issues involved and huge money mismanagement, you're not paying no bills, you're not living responsibly, but the criminal lifestyle for many, many worked. It has its own appeal. It has its own appeal. So what I've learned, Mark, is that if I just do good, then being good, law-abiding, gains its own momentum. If I step out and do something criminal, criminal, antisocial, that too would gain its momentum until I'll start leaning toward the criminal stuff that I'm used to as opposed to the law-abiding stuff. So, um, I kind of forgot the question that you asked No, me. it's okay. That's what we were just, we were going fine. But I think it is, it's part of um, following that code as a Christian. And I think it's the same kind of, similar. there's a similarity in terms of, if I do what's right, always do what's right. Always follow what God would have me do or what uh, that church family that I cater to or hang out with would have me do. Only good things can become of it. I, I know that you mentioned something that... Um, dawned on me several, well, within the first year and a half of my incarceration was I'd finally gotten disciplined, I think, by putting myself in the hole for something I didn't do. 
And it was as if in that moments where it was totally solitary, you know, it was God reaching out to me and saying, you know, I've been trying to get your attention, Mr. Rennick, for 50 years, so maybe we can talk now. So once I made that connection and I started listening to that voice, then the world changed for me. And it really has changed ever since that time. You know, I recognized some of the, a promise that I had made to him 10 years before, everything started flowing into place. So again, it's back to recognizing what God does for you, even when it comes in a disciplinary kind of fashion and saying, oh, that's why this happened. Oh, I did this, you know, and seeing that and then repenting, changing it and going forward. Absolutely. Uh, and, And that's the principle that I tried to operate under is that God placed me here as a mercy. Because mm-hmm. see, if a person is incarcerated, and is this, if this condition changes or proves, improves the slightest degree, then incarceration has done you some good. I never thought I would be able to admit that this period of incarceration has done me some good. Yeah, me too. Because I paid attention, and I tried to change. I tried to change, but what was most important for me, I just had to make a decision. Make a solid decision to change. Yeah, that's good. Because some people, some people are satisfied, and as crazy as this may sound, some people are satisfied, or should I say, used to living in under certain conditions. They come used to it. So if they're not, if they're satisfied living, even if they, if a person can be homeless, but if he's satisfied with doing, setting out their homeless with a sign or whatever, then there's nothing you can do to really change that person's way of thinking. He has to become dissatisfied with the certain lifestyle. I got dissatisfied and um, disappointed and upset with myself because of the way my life had been going for many, many years. So that dissatisfaction led me to make a decision. What I want to do, do I want to die in prison? Do I want to continue to be an embarrassment and a shame to my family, friends, and loved ones? Or do I want to change and try to tilt the scales in my favor. I've done so much wrong. I'm going to tip the scales in my favor. So I knew I had to change. Yep. So I made that decision. I made that decision and um, and I kind of like stood on it. It's going to take discipline, discipline, determination, yeah. desire, but it starts with the decision. Yeah. Well, so, listen, listen uh, we're going to run out of time, but I just, uh, thank you so much for coming in. This is fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again, but I appreciate, I want to thank you for uh, utilizing the services that we put out and um, taking advantage of those and becoming hopefully kind of an insight and a role model for people sure. who are listening today in the desert or driving around. And congratulations. And uh, it's so nice that you're here. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome. Through Jesus, there's victory. All the chains that were holding me kept me locked in captivity. Have been broken by grace so free When he poured out his cleansing blood Motivated by his great love Give me faith I need to rise above And sing a song of how I've overcome I've got victory over sin Bringing peace to the fight within Give me strength I need to start again like I said, I love sharing stories like this. This is fantastic that we get to do that. If you've got questions about what we do or what we or anything we talked about today, you can reach me at Systemic Change of Idaho. It's 
all spelled out there at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Systemic Change of ID. We're on Instagram at Systemic Change of ID. Man, you can even call me on the phone if you want to. Area code 208-477-1006. We look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.